0: Welcome to a very special episode of Ad Passion and Stir. I'm Debbie Shore. On October 30, 2019, Share of Strength gathered thought leaders, activists, philanthropists, teachers, and chefs to collaborate and share best practices in the fight to end child hunger in the first ever No Kid Hungry Summit. It was an incredible day with 75 of our top Share of Strength leaders who have a shared passion for helping children and who are united in one purpose, to end childhood hunger in the United States. Today, we will share with you some of the highlights from the conference. I know I walked away from the summit that day so inspired and re-energized. I think you will be, too, as you listen to these passionate voices. In many ways, teachers are the first responders to childhood hunger. Philanthropist Renee Grisham, who, with her husband, novelist John Grisham, has been an important advocate for children and a tremendous supporter of our work. She told the story of how her daughter opened her eyes to see the tragedy of child hunger in America.
1: My daughter, Shay. She, at the time, she started teaching at a leadership magnet school in Raleigh, North Carolina, a year after she finished at UNC. She has a degree in education, master's in literacy. And Shay is a gifted teacher, and she was on fire. She was so excited. She was very involved with her children, just greeted them every morning with a big hug. You know, you know what it's like every day you have a task every day to make sure every child is safe, you have a task to make sure they learn, that they're in the best environment they can be. What she did not realize is that children who come in after the bell because of a late bus or a late drop-off might be hungry. And she called me and she said, Mom, we have to do something. My kids are coming to school without breakfast and they're hungry. I said, okay, okay, we'll establish a breakfast basket in your room. They can discreetly go get something to eat, eat at their desk, it'll be fine. Okay, so we did that. And I said, but Shay, this is one classroom. What about the rest of the classrooms? She worked hard to make sure kids got lunch, spending her own money, subsidizing um, at times really go into battle with the cafeteria. So I learned about that. I did not realize kids were at school hungry. I just assumed they got lunch or breakfast. I didn't even think about the stigma of sitting in a cafeteria by yourself. So breakfast after the bell struck a chord with me. Fast forward several, several years, you know, keeping in the back of my mind, one classroom is not one whole school, is not one whole state. What do you do?
0: What do you do? When my brother Billy and I started Share Our Strength over 30 years ago, we realized that the culinary community could be our ally in the fight against hunger. Those who feed people for a living will understand and embrace the goal of ending childhood hunger. And when we made the bold commitment to end childhood hunger, not reduce it, we knew we needed to unite our efforts with those on the front lines. You will hear from two educators talking about the challenges their students face and the impact that the No Kid Hungry campaign has had in their schools by incorporating the common sense accommodation of making food available to all kids when they're in school and in the classroom in a program we call Breakfast After the Bell. Here is Julie Pittman, a teacher in Rutherford County Schools in North Carolina.
2: And my heart broke because I knew as a young child who participated and and qualified for free and reduced lunch myself, because my family went through such a hard time um, in my early years, I knew what that felt like and I knew what it looked like. And as a teacher, it broke my heart because I knew that there was not much that I could do about it. So now all of our students having the opportunity to eat regardless of their background, regardless of their capability of being able to provide, having their parents provide for them, our students have the opportunity to eat. And on top of that, work that we've done and our superintendent was able to motivate all of our principals to increase our breakfast participation because breakfast was going to be Um, the thing that was going to move us forward. Where we were failing in discipline and failing in (coughs) student achievement, she knew that this was going to move us forward. And so she challenged all of her principals to increase their breakfast participation. So putting breakfast as part of the instructional day was a game changer. It made for much more conducive classes for learning It allowed our teachers the opportunity to be innovative in the way they implemented breakfast in their classrooms. It allowed our students who were in high school to eat at second chance after the first period. And when before we started our breakfast program, we had high discipline problems and low student achievement. And I'm very proud to say that Rutherford County Schools now is outpacing and outperforming on every single benchmark that North Carolina has a metric for in our state.
0: And Camilla Barber from the Oakland Unified School District in California.
3: All these programs are so important just to make sure that our students have access to healthy food options so that they can thrive and be able to hold their attention during class, stay on task, be able to think critically, but I just think that this, our breakfast in the classroom has been so impactful in our school. Again, I, it's an elementary school, so there's about 406 students there on a daily basis. And it's TK through fifth. And um, breakfast in the classroom has changed how we operate on a day-to-day basis. Without this program, we would continue to have high chronic absenteeism. We would continue to have behavioral issues peer conflict, conflict with teachers, teacher-child conflict, all of these things would continue. But since implementation of this programming, we've seen a decrease in all of these areas. I think one thing that I just wanna really highlight is that just like the impact of the work of Breakfast in the Classroom. Students enter the classroom and they know what to do, they have a sense of belonging, they feel part of a community, which I think is so important that a program can not only address the food aspect of it, but they can address how they feel at school as well. I know that before this, students didn't want to come to school because there was a stigma attached to them being without, right? So instead of having to face the music and ask for help, they just wouldn't come to school. And so now, students come we had a really really high chronic absenteeism rate I mean it was in like the high 30s and we've seen it go be at 16% I think just the community in general and some of the um, the things that I mentioned before around the challenges that our community experiences contribute to some of the chronic absenteeism transportation and everything but we've seen chronic absenteeism go down to 16% from Absentee. high 30s. I think we've, yes. <laughs> yeah. When we talk about progress, yeah. that's huge yeah. progress. Yeah, mm-hmm. abso- absolutely. And I just wanted one last thing. Please. Because this is, this is really, this is like staggering. So um, we have the cafeteria model like Clint had mentioned. And um, when we when we had that, we had about 60 to 65 kids, maybe on a good day 70, eating in the cafeteria. So you're like rushed to eat, right? And then there's not enough food if you come late or whatever it may be. And then after implementation of this, um, and the reason I know this, because I check the statistics every day, um, <laughs> uh, is that we have out of our student body of 406, we have about 320 to 350 students eating on a wow. daily basis. Mm-hmm. Wow. So,
0: So we've heard firsthand testimony from the -the boots-on-the-ground first responders to childhood hunger, the teachers who spend eight hours a day working with the most vulnerable population in our nation, our children. We also heard from the First Lady of Virginia, Dorothy McAuliffe. She revealed that as Terry McAuliffe was beginning his governorship they were surprised to learn of the scope of the problem of childhood hunger in their state and how it affected their priorities during his term
4: something that Terry and I really didn't know as Virginians for over 28 years thanks to the attention brought by Share Our Strength that we had over 300,000 Virginians uh, Virginia children alone struggling with hunger of course coming off the recession in 2008 Terry ran in 2013 so whatever challenges we were aware of we didn't realize how just how devastating this had been we knew how devastating it had been to the economy those defense contracts had during sequestration and those types of things the economy had shrunk but the numbers it just said we have to do more find a way to connect this abundance of agriculture that we have and that we export and that we sell within our our borders and make sure that we're connecting those resources which are there are available with the children that need the most and that fuels as you said fuels an economy but we know we can't fuel an economy and Terry talked a lot about workforce development and education investing in our education system and we know if you can't invest to make sure, as we've heard teachers talk about today, that we're meeting those most basic needs as children walk in the door. All the investments we make in education and trying to develop that workforce and trying to create jobs and opportunity are for naught. And so um, I think it was most powerful as the parents of five children to be aware and to be committed and passionate about this, Um, but then to think of it in terms of an actual uh, platform and deliverables and, and, and knowing we could solve this problem and that we had other challenges to solve, but that this was probably the most basic and important that we could that we could turn to.
0: We've always believed that in order to be successful ending childhood hunger, we need to have a bipartisan approach to the issue. Now we're going to hear from Billy Piper, former chief of staff to Mitch McConnell, the Republican Majority Leader, and currently the lobbyist for Fierce Government Relations. Billy talks about the need for persistence when advocating for children.
5: I don't think you can just take the first no answer no matter what. I mean, most offices are conditioned and sort of and this, this again crosses partisan lines, are a bit jaded. And because of how often they're being approached with requests, you have to go in with creative solutions. That's part of what we've tried to do on the summer meals program and the idea of increasing money on the EBT card for uh, greater summer access for summer meals for kids. What Share Our Strength does well, in my opinion, is they take that, they start it off in a pilot program, they evaluate it. They don't just say, okay, now we've got that, give us more. We're gonna demonstrate to you how it's actually worked, how we've actually made a small dent in the program. Here are some things we tried in other states that didn't work. That's important to know as well. And so you have to come up with some creative solutions, demonstrate them and be able to prove the efficacy
0: and also be honest when it doesn't work. Award-winning chef Hugh Acheson posed perhaps the most poignant question of the summit.
6: I I am a massive supporter of public schools, and I've got two daughters uh, who go to school in Athens, Georgia, and Athens, Georgia has a 35 percent poverty rate. A uh, lot of food insecurity issues. Uh, they went to a school that was uh, really on the cusp of changing to be a great school, and it is now. Uh, but in the in- initial few years, there were funding drives uh, for canned food, and it all had to be in pop top cans. And I asked one time why that had to be, and it was uh, the principal literally just looked me in the eye and was like, What do does this not make sense to you? They have to feed themselves when they're six. So these kids would go home with pop top cans of food and eat cold SpaghettiOs on the weekends. And it got me thinking, well, it first of all drove me to a deep depression, probably for about 10 years, on how, they, how did we let this happen? What part of the social fabric and social underpinnings
0: of society, what, what happened? I got an answer? What happened? How did the richest country in the world with enough food and programs to feed everyone end up with 11 million children living in food insecure homes? It's a daunting question one that could and does cause many people to believe that ending childhood hunger is a hopeless cause. But the more than 75 leaders who attended the No Kid Hungry Summit were not dismayed. They spoke of the great strides we've made over the past few years, of the many great advancements we can expect in the future, and of the need for constancy of purpose. Here is my brother Billy Shore.
7: So much of what you've heard today has come to this point because of constancy of purpose. And I am so glad that that constancy of purpose has also resulted in the highest access to school meals in the history of the school lunch and the school breakfast program. Highest access ever. And and what should go with that, has gone with that, which is childhood hunger down 30% in the last eight years, now to its lowest level uh, in the last 25 years. So we are getting there. We still have a ways to go. And the only thing that can stand in our way, this is just my personal opinion, the only thing that gets in our way or can be an obstacle to that is not money, like we tend to think, not even political will. It's what I think of as failure of imagination. Our failure to really Think boldly about all that we can achieve together.
0: George Jones is the CEO of Bread for the City in Washington, D.C. and a stalwart champion of the disadvantaged. He challenged us to not only remain constant in our purpose, but also to raise our sights higher and reach for even bolder goals.
8: It's just a symptom that children are hungry in this country. And the truth of the matter is that the real issue is poverty. And so we can go beyond simply feeding people and simply ensuring that people have minimally what they need, that we can, if we prioritize it, if we think about the beyond today, we can really imagine a country where everybody has an income, quality housing, food, And I think one of the things that I really like that was lifted up here at the the conference today is that it is really in everybody's self-interest. At the end of the day, there there is a moral imperative for it, but we will all be better off when we don't have people sleeping on the steps of Capitol Hill and we don't have children hungry in classes and we don't have people living in extreme poverty. So I really encourage you to take your your sort of work, the work of Share Our Strength to the next level. I'd love to invite, one of the things I do in all of my sort of presentations today is I invite people to join me in the commitment to ending poverty. No matter what aspect of it you're dealing on, I'm committed to that for the rest of my life and I hope you'll join me in that commitment. Thank you. Thank you.
0: To end shouted hunger and to end poverty requires a culture that can be instilled in those who join the struggle and be shared among all the people of goodwill who unite in this purpose. John Miller is the CEO and president of the global restaurant chain Denny's that operates over 1,600 franchisees across the country and around the world. Denny's mission statement is to build, nurture, and grow a culture that is diverse, inclusive, and unquestionably equal. To be a place that employs all, buys from all, promotes all, serves all, and supports all as a natural extension of who we are. In their supportive share of strength in the No Can campaign, we have seen firsthand how Denny stays true to the values they profess. Here is John Miller on building and adhering to a culture of value and purpose.
9: We have our five B's. First B is believe in a purpose. Second is become a follower. Third is belong to a family. It's got to matter to you. Fourth is... To break through, to lead. If you get the first three right, you can break through. And then fifth is to build a legacy. So make mm-hmm. sure it's sustainable and keeps going. So so when you talk about that every day, people then know the only way I'm going to get over wage inflation, or quality investments, or remodel cost, or um, other hurdles of the business, is is to have a sense of purpose. You. If you want to get, you've got to give. This is just fundamental. We know it the moment we're conscious as human beings. Uh, if I want to get a hug from mom, i got to color inside the lines and take her the picture. She hangs on the refrigerator. I'm addicted to the affection I got. I go color another picture. Right, so we, we figure it out really early, or you don't figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, then you're waiting for that moment someone teaches you, right? If you want to get, you got to give. You have to give, what do you give? I'm not talking about opening up your wallet. I'm talking about giving your God-given talent back to the service of others. So that's just fundamental to humanity. That's what separates us from every little bugs crawling around our feet. We, get, we gotta give. You can't give what you didn't get. Is rule number two. You can't give what you didn't get. You, can't, you don't wanna be bragging about your gifts if you're extraordinary in some way. Mm-hmm. But you don't wanna be embarrassed about gifts you didn't have. You don't be ashamed that somebody else has things you don't have. You want to take what you do have, your genius, and share your strength. You want to put that to work in the service of others. The third is you have to, if you want to lead, you have to follow. You have to follow great principles. If you don't have great principles to follow, you're of no value, of no consequence. 100 years from now, you never mattered. If you want to live forever, serve others. No one will ever forget. If you don't want to ever matter, don't serve others you'll lose the talent you've been given, and you'll be pretty hollow when you die. So, so as long as you can instill these values in your organization, that it, it helps manager employee relationships, it helps leader franchise relationships, it helps community relationships, it helps commitments to different community. One of the most interesting thing to me is the commitment to diversity and how hard it is. We'll get back to feeding kids in just a second. But one of the toughest is the LGBT community, right? So we have we have, Rainbow, we put on the Pride Day, we support the parades and everything, but still, when it comes to local community relationships, our franchisees struggle. They don't, by themselves, they don't, they don't know how to engage. They have half of their employees going, well, I love my fellow LGBT community, but uh, my faith, uh, I don't know how to think about it. I said, well, here's how you think about it. We welcome, serve, employ. Love everybody. You want that person to love you, you got to love them back. (laughs) Love is universal language. It's what unites people, period.
0: The goal and purpose of Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign is ambitious. But our network of thought leaders, activists, philanthropists, teachers, chefs, and all the wonderful people who work at Share Our Strength believe passionately that we can end childhood hunger because we're seeing the results in communities every day, all across the country. And we won't stop until all children have access to the food they need to grow and to thrive. Danny Meyer, the CEO of Union Square Hospitality Group and the founder of Shake Shack is a longtime supporter and serves on the board of Share our Strength. He speaks of how we can frame our ambition with our ability. Almost every person I've ever met who self-selects
10: into this cause uh, is somebody who aspires to a better world and and I just the whole premise of sharing your strength has always spoken to me um I'm going to give a plug for one of the best books I've ever read which is called The Cathedral Within by someone named Billy Shore um you should if you haven't read it you should read it if you've read it you should read it again because it really speaks to this very topic which is that the cathedral builders you know it always blows my mind when you see a cathedral anywhere in the world and you realize how many years it took to build it and this was before there were telephones or faxes how did they get the supply chain to get how did they get all the materials and the plans and the people they didn't have apps to get labor on demand how did they do it and whoever was involved with building those or designing those cathedrals knew that they would never live to see the end product but they knew it was worth it and they knew that the mission was was worth doing and and i've i've always really appreciated that the people who are called to this work um, are today's cathedral builders the difference is that the number of years i've been involved with share our strength is how many years it would have taken to build the front steps of saint peter's right and and we're making massive progress and i believe that i will actually see not too distant future from now I may actually see the end of childhood hunger in America and I think this organization will have been the reason why. And the sponsors of this uh, organization and the volunteers and the staff members and the community leaders like you who are called to action have all been part of the reason. Just in this past year, the, the evolution of corporate sponsors along with family foundations, along with restaurants and, and other volunteers blows my mind and that evolves year after year. Just this year alone, companies like Grubhub and Discover Networks and Citi have, through their own innovative programs that help them build business while they're doing good, have contributed a huge amount of really necessary
0: funding to this mission. Here again is Renee Grisham.
1: I love the sustainability of this program. Once it's in place, children are fed. Everybody understands it, and it's done. I was in Baton Rouge, and the story that struck me is everybody is invested, from Danny to Amy, school administrators, school teachers, cafeteria managers. So we were at a school, and the most pride that I heard come forth was from the cafeteria manager, and she said, My kids are getting fed and I see it every day. They get breakfast, they get lunch. And when I hear that she is so invested and they're her kids, how can we not be involved? The numbers don't lie. 47,000 more kids were fed breakfast in Virginia once the program started. It's fully funded there. We've seen it, it can be done. We know it works. It brings together people from all walks of life, because who's gonna argue that children should be fed at school? Nobody. They have to be fed at school so they can learn. They're our future. That's what keeps me going, and that's what makes me want to be involved. This team, you can't say no to them. I've tried. They're like the Pied Piper. Just follow me, and we do. I'd, I'd just like to say, as the mother of a school teacher. It is really important that we are there for our education system because that's the best way we can look to the future. And feeding them is, just, is, is a huge part of that. I do not want to let this happen. I don't want childhood hunger to increase on my watch, but I am seeing it decrease. The one in seven has happened since I've been involved and I'm the newbie here. What you all are doing is great. We just have to do a little more.
0: Thank you for listening to this very special episode of Ad Passion and Stir. Please remember to listen, subscribe, rate, and review. You can find Ad Passion and Stir on your favorite podcast app, or just go to com. Thank you. Ad
7: Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Ad Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall.